Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise, and thank you for the privilege of being with you in your homes today. I cannot tell you how much I enjoy all during this lockdown, getting to be with you live every day. Just you allowing me to be a part of your life. Thank you so much. Well, it's going to be a beautiful day today, and it's going to be a good week this week. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And sometimes, you know, joy is a choice. You know, sometimes depression is a choice. I, I, I've met quite a few people lately that, oh my goodness, they look like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh. They're always depressed. You know, life is what you make of it. Let me say that again. Life is what you make of it. Right now, things are requiring a lot of adaptability. Things are requiring that we learn new things. Things are requiring some inconvenience. But you know what? God is still with you. His promises are still true. His plan for your life is going to stand. We've taught you that how many times and how many different ways. Jesus is still Lord. There's still a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. His name is God. Faithful is he who has promised. I mean, sometimes you just got to look around and go, you know what? Ah. Remember the old trite saying, when life gives you lemon, make lemonades? Well, there's a lot of truth in there. And a lot of it deals with our attitude. So just decide today. I'm going to enjoy today. I'm going to trust God and I'm just going to rejoice and be glad. God gave me this day. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Father, I thank you that you are the God of eternal encouragement. Oh, you are the lifter of our heads. Father, some of our people have had such difficult news that they've heard all last week and all weekend they've thought about it. And now this morning they get up and get ready to face it. But Father, I ask in Jesus' name, lift their heads. Oh, Father, lift their heads. Fill their hearts with all joy and fill their hearts with peace and touch them by the power of the Holy Ghost so that they overflow with hope. We can't control ourselves by our minds. We can't control our emotions by our will. But Lord, your grace, oh, by your grace, Lord, by your grace, Lord, work in the hearts, work in the souls. Father, your word says that you restoreth our soul. Many of my brothers and sisters this morning, Lord, their soul has been, they've been through 12 rounds with Pacquiao, Lord, and their soul is hurt and they're discouraged. But Father, I ask that today you just begin a work of grace in their life. And as they lift their soul to you, that you restore their soul in Jesus' name. Father, brothers and sisters have heard terrible news and they're so dejected. It's like their hope has been destroyed. But you're the God of hope. Lord, restore their souls today. I pray for Sister, Brother Roger and his wife in the hospital right now this morning. Lord, in Jesus' name, let healing flow into her body. Father, let those lungs clear in the name of Jesus. And Father, every time people have a little shortage of breath, they, they start to become afraid. Father, break all that fear off of your people's lives. We will live and not die and declare the glory of the Lord. You have promised us a long life and a life worth living. Let there be no fear in the hearts of your sons and daughters today, Lord. Let lungs just be clear in Jesus' name. 
we thank you for it. Amen. Let's open up our hearts. And if you wonder what the noise is sometimes behind me, that's the puppy playing with one of their toys. And it seems that the noisier the toy is, the better they like it. So let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
Young people, I do not say this in any way as a negative, but only as a positive. If Jesus tarries, the longer you serve him, the more you realize hard times are nothing to be afraid of because he will be with you. He will always be good to you. The character of culture, the character of the environment, the, the character of everything around us may change, but the character of God never changes. All your life, he will be faithful. All your life, he will be good to you. Amen. Well, one of our kids has our foundational scripture for this season, Psalms 91. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feelings, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You may only look Look with your eyes 
and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample on their foot. Because he holds me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Well, we're all looking forward to some news this week on whether we will move into modified general quarantine. And that means we can begin to have services. So we're all looking forward to the news. We're not booking the uh, uh, Sunday morning, or either one of the Sunday morning services for parking yet. But we are already booking. You're reserving your slots for Saturday morning. Now, again, Saturday morning is going to be kind of a semi-permanent drive-in service. This is for our seniors. Uh, this is for people with medical conditions and you don't feel that you want to be out and about in big crowds and things. And we can do this on a semi-permanent level until this whole season passes. You say, well, Pastor, what happens if it's raining on Saturday morning? I promise you I'm not made out of sugar and I will not melt. You'll be in your cars. You'll be nice and dry. We'll have service. We do have the, the sort of a roof over our go truck. So it's it's kind of like an open-air crusade, only everybody drives in. It's called Drive-In Church. All right, so if you want to be a part of that Saturday morning, we are already booking that. But we're going to wait for the government announcement on services this weekend before we book anything else. All right, right now we've got a great testimony for you. Hello, COP family. My name is Sister Shana Kanimdin. I've always been passionate about baking and this pandemic has given me time to practice it again. Whenever I bake for my family and friends, they will really love it and they will always encourage me to sell it out. This pandemic has been a challenging time for our family. My wedding got postponed, my two brothers temporarily lost their job, and my father got sick that we need to bring him to the hospital. And my sister and I are the only one providing for the family, so we knew we really need an extra income to cover all the family expenses. That's why I decided to push through with my baking business. Though at first, I'm really hesitating because I don't have any formal education with baking, but I know that the Lord will bless the work of my hands. And truly, as soon as I opened the online bake shop, the orders that we received were really overwhelming, and they keep on coming every day. As of now, we have made a total of 50 cheesecakes. Our God is really faithful to His promises, just what is written in Philippians 4 verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. My family and I are very grateful to God for His overflowing grace and blessing to our family and for leading us to more open doors of opportunities where we can shine and manifest His God-given talents and skills. May the Lord be glorified more through our business as we continue to share it to everyone. I talked to you at the beginning of all of this as the family works together. We learned that from the woman with the oil and God's supernatural provision. The sons had to go out and help mom gather everything together. As families pull together, this is not a time for families to pull apart. Young people, time to step up. 
Time for the whole family to pull together. See how God has provided for a family. I just, I'm just so thrilled. I'm just so thrilled to see God's hand of blessing, but also to see how our families don't sit back and fight and criticize each other. Instead, the family pulls together. Proud of you. Double salute in Jesus' name. All right, I want us to get today into Acts chapter 16. No, Acts chapter 17 today. We finished chapter 16 yesterday, but there's a couple of things I want you to notice. As Paul went into Philippi, in the will of God, I mean, he had this incredible vision that told him to get into Macedonia. And the first city in Macedonia is Philippi. And the first thing that happens when he gets into Philippi is there's not much happening. There's, there's not a lot of people getting saved. There's no synagogue there. He, he has to go out to where the, the people would meet to pray because there's no synagogue. And then he gets thrown in prison, and it's not just any prison. Verse 24 says it was the inner prison. That's where they basically put people to die. They'd chain you to the floor, and basically you would starve to death and die and get eaten by rats, all right? I mean, this was, this was death sentence. And instead, God broke open the prison, <laughs> the great miracle happens. There's a couple of things I want you to notice there. Just because something is God's incredibly clear revealed will of God doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean there's not going to be any problems. But I want you to also notice Paul having become, verse 18, greatly annoyed. <laughs> Sometimes as a pastor, you get greatly annoyed at things that are wrong. And you know what? You deal with it. I once heard a man say, you will never change something until you get angry about it. Now, remember, the Bible says, be angry, but sin not. Anger is not a sin. Christianity today likes to make it look like, you know, everything that is angry is sin. Well, God gets angry. He's slow to anger, but God does get angry. So there came a point, Paul became greatly annoyed. And when he got greatly annoyed, he was a very patient man. But when he got greatly annoyed, he did something about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> then, oh my goodness. Now, let's pick up in chapter 17. He's kicked out of Philippi, all right? He, he leaves Philippi because of the persecution. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews, all right? Now, he's got a place that he can start preaching. He always went to the Jew first. And Paul went in, as was his custom. It was always Paul's custom to go to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now notice, he didn't just tell his testimony. He didn't just have Facebook slogans. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now again, young people, I know Christianity light is very popular today. And I, I know cute little slogans. And I, I sometimes characterize some modern teaching in churches as... Um, Something that makes you feel good but doesn't make you change. It doesn't require any decision from you. It doesn't require that you change. It's, it's all about communicating things that give you nice thoughts. Okay, But he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Explaining, that's part of it, and proving, that's the second part of it. Now, good reasoning from the scripture explains and proves. Now, get a hold of that. Good reasoning is from the scripture, it explains and it proves. Now, what, what, would it, what did it explain and prove? Number one, that it was necessary for Christ to suffer, and it was necessary to rise from the dead. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that sounds almost trite to you and I, 
because we believe in it so much. But do you know how many pastors have told me, Pastor Summerall, it really wasn't necessary for Jesus to die on the cross. People killed Jesus. God is good. There is no hell. And these same people say there is no hell. There is no hell, Pastor. There, there is no judgment. God is not a God of judgment. God is, God is a God of grace. And there was no need for Jesus to die. Well, Paul proved it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and to rise from the dead. I get how many preachers have told me, Pastor Summerall, the resurrection it's a nice story, and it's very figurative, and it's, it, it might have been a spiritual resurrection. No, no. It was necessary for Jesus to suffer and die and rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. All right, so they reasoned. They reasoned from the scriptures. They explained and they proved that Jesus must suffer, that Jesus must rise from the dead, and that Jesus is the Christ. But they did that from the scriptures. Now, when we say from the scriptures there, we're not talking about the New Testament. I'm amazed at churches that want to throw the Old Testament out today. They don't read it. They don't teach it. They say it's not relevant for us. What did Paul preach from? (laughs) Did he ever think of that? See, when you and I think scriptures, we think 66 books of the Bible. When Paul thought scriptures, he thought Old Testament law of the prophets. And some of them were persuaded, not all of them, but some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So notice, we get a harvest among the Jews, we get a harvest among the God-fearers like Cornelius, and a few of the leading women. Now, I want you to notice here, where Paul's beginning to focus on the salvation of women. (laughs) And he mentions it. But the Jews were jealous. Now, please forgive me, but why did the Jews crucify Jesus? Because they were jealous. Why did the Jews persecute in John in Acts 13, verse 44 to 46? Because they were jealous. Why did the Jews persecute now? Because they are jealous. But the Jews were jealous. Jealous because people were paying attention to Paul. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Now notice, notice how these Jews use wicked men. Now here's something you need to get a hold of. One of the things that's very painful in life, and when I was a young Christian, I never thought that these things would happen. But one of the very painful things I've seen in life is how religion will use wicked people to do their work. They always want plausible deniability. They will use wicked people to do their work. Some wicked men of the rabble, and they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. These Jews started a riot and attacked the house of Jason. Now, this is the guy that just opened his house for Paul to stay there. Poor guy. And seeking to bring them out into the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have come Turn the world upside down, have come here also. Now, Jason lived there. Those brothers lived there. But now all of a sudden they're strangers. See, see, mobs are not logical. And Jason received them, and they were all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Well, fascinating. The Jews would be concerned about Caesar. (laughs) And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. 
And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now, again, notice, the best way to deal with a mob is to stay away because mobs are not logical. Mobs just... They're just not logical. They're going to say things. They're going to distort things. Now, thankfully, the city officials were disturbed by these things, but the city officials calmed things down. Now, Jason and the brothers were still arrested, so they'd taken money as security. That's called bail money. All right. They were arrested and released on bail. Verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Now, was Paul a runner? Was Paul afraid of it? No, but there's no, there's no ability, there's no logic with a mob. See, it's, it's no longer reasoning from the scriptures. There's no reason when you get the emotions of a mob put together. The, the young people, this is why I always teach you. When people tell you to go to demonstrations and stuff, do not go. Stay away. You may be there with the best intentions, but I promise you there's something that gets control of that mob that is supernatural. It's not, and it's not from God's side of the supernatural. And there's no, there's no dealing with it. So Paul was not running, but Paul recognized, you know what? There's nothing I can do right now. People have gotten their emotions stirred up, these Jews. These Jews recognize they cannot deal with me on the basis of logic from the scriptures. Okay? They have to dig up the emotions of people and get everybody emotionally stirred up. Now, why is it that this whole thing about uh, there's another king and acting against the decrees of Caesar, why is that so important? Because the city officials could be put in jail for that. If they were found defying Roman law, these city officials, their head was on the line. So emotions are completely involved. When people's emotions are completely involved, it's best to withdraw. So Paul and Silas withdraw to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, that shows he wasn't a runner. He went straight into the next synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those at Thessalonica. I like that. They received the word with all eagerness. Different cities received the word differently. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, that's, that's good stuff. Often hear you, you, you often hear me say we should be like the Bereans and study to see if these things be so. We don't just swallow everything people say, but we examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, two things to notice there. They examined the scriptures and they did it daily. These were people who studied the scriptures on a daily basis. Every day they would get up and they would try to understand this. Paul brought them great revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. So every day they spent time examining the scriptures. Now this, forgive me, this is good Christianity. You don't just believe something you hear on television. You don't just believe something you hear somebody say. Even if they say it passionately, you don't believe it. You examine the scriptures. God does not expect blind belief. God expects belief that flows from examining the scriptures. Many of them therefore believed. Now, why did they believe? Because they heard, they examined the scriptures. Many of them therefore believed. And not a few women of high standing as well as men. All right. And so we have these Greek women being saved again. Now again, Paul notices the evangelization of women. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, 
they came there too, <laughs> unnoticed. They didn't send a message and tell the synagogue there to stir up trouble because the synagogue there were noblemen. They came themselves agitating and stirring up the crowds. They did the same thing in Berea that they did in Thessalonica. They went and found some wicked men up from the rabble and just stirred everything up, you know? Again, you're going to have to understand, brothers and sisters, there are some people, they just like to cause trouble, and they're always agitating. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. And notice, to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. So Paul's traveling companion stayed there. Now, why would the traveling companion stay there? Well, because the focus is on Paul. See, one of the things you have to learn about leadership is you are always the target. A young man came to me. He was a pastor of another church, and he said, Pastor, I just don't understand it. I said, let me just put it to you this way. When God called you and God put you in a position of leadership, there's a target on your back. And I said, you just have to get used to it that you are the focus of attack. Just like in the Old Testament, when they went to war, they always went after the king, because if you can kill the king, the army will disperse. If they can destroy the pastor, strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Okay, so you just have to understand, Silas and Timothy were not the target of attack. Paul is the target of attack. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And having received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So Paul and Silas remain. They help strengthen the church. They get things going. You know, they get the church organized a little bit. And Paul's going to wait for them in Athens. But Paul is by himself now. He has no traveling companions. Paul is completely by himself now. And we'll pick this up tomorrow. All right. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. Shall not come on, for he will make me, he me, 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 me,
Well, I do pray that our seniors are enjoying senior moments. I know the staff are having a good time working on them. Sister Bev preview late at night, Sister Bev previews all of the kids shows and Sister Bev previews all of the senior moments, making sure that everything is just right. Seniors, we're so proud of you. Now, let's get into 1 Chronicles chapter 9 today. 1 Chronicles chapter 9, chapter, verse 1. So all Israel was recorded in genealogies. Now you have to understand these genealogies are very important. And you know, when you get into the New Testament, Paul begins to let us know how unimportant they are, okay? But genealogies were extremely important to the Jewish people because that, it did not just so lineage as you, it showed your inheritance. Remember the year of Jubilee. So all Israel was recorded in genealogies and these are written in the book of the Kings of Israel. And Judah was taken into exile in Babylon because of their breach of faith. Now, you know what? In my Bible, I write next to that, consequences. Why did they lose the promise of God? 
Now, not forever, because they had their genealogy, and one day they would return to the land and they could begin to see what land was theirs. But because of their breach of faith, because of their breach of faith, there were consequences. When there is a breach of faith in a relationship, there are consequences. Okay, I, I don't care if it's a relationship with an Asawa, a relationship within the family, a relationship with friends, a relationship in the church, a relationship with God. When there is a breach of faith, there are consequences. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you anymore. It doesn't mean that the person doesn't love you anymore, but there are consequences. And Judah was taken into exile. They lost the promises. They lost the blessings because of their breach of faith. Now, the first to dwell again in, in their land, the first to dwell again in their possessions. Now, notice, in their possessions. These are the things that God had promised them. The first to dwell again in their possessions in their cities were Israel. The priests, the Levites, and the temple servants. Now, that's fascinating to me, that the first people that God allowed to go back into the land were the Levites, the priests, and the temple servants. That's fascinating to me. Even though the temple's been destroyed, the first back in were the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants. Why? God wants the spiritual tone set. Now, there's some things that you just need to understand. How you begin a thing is important. It sets the tone. So let's put in the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants to set the tone. And some of the people of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh lived in Jerusalem. Now notice everybody's all mixed up. You've got Ephraim, which is down in the Galilee. You've got Manasseh, and you've got Judah and Benjamin all living in Jerusalem. That's not their land. Uthai, the son of Amihud, son of Omri, son of Imra, son of Bani, from the sons of Perez, the son of Judah, and the Shilonites. Asla, the firstborn, and his sons. Of the sons of Zerah, Jewel, and his kinsmen, 690. Of the Benjaminites, Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Hadviah, the son of Hashanua, Ebniah, the son of Joram, Ella, the son of Uzi, the son of Mikri, Meshulam, the son of Shephathiah, the son of Raul, the son of Ebijah, and their kinsmen, according to their generations, 956. All these were the heads of their fathers' houses, according to their fathers' houses. Of the priests, Jedidiah, Jehorib, Jachim, and Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Meroth, the son of Ahitab, the chief officer of the house of God. And Adiah, the son of Joram, the son of Pashur, the son of Makajah, Maasa, the son of Adiah, the son of Jezreah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Meshulamis, Mishalameth, that's a hard one, Mishalameth, say that three times real fast, Mishalameth, the son of Emer, besides their kinsmen, heads of their father's houses, 1,760, mighty men for the work of the service of the house of God. Now notice, God doesn't just send down weak, sniveling men as he starts up the reoccupation of the territory. He sends strong men of faith. He's setting the tone, please, this time, follow me. Of the Levites, Shemaiah, 
the son of Hashem, the son of Azrikam, the son of Hashbabiah, of the sons of Merari, and Bakbakar, Heresh, Galal, and Mataniah, the son of Mikri, the son of Zikri, the son of Asaph, and Obadiah, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Galal, the son of Jedathun, the son of Bekarhiah, and the son of Asa, the son of Elkanah, who lived in the villages of the Nethophites. The gatekeepers were Shalom, Akub, Kalman, Ahiman, and their kinsmen. Shalom was the chief. And then, until then, there were they were in the king's gate on the east side as the gatekeepers of the camps of the Levites. Shalom, the son of Kor, the son of Evashath, the son of Korah, and the kinsmen of his father's house. The Korites were in charge of the work of the service, keepers of the threshold of the tent, as their fathers had been in charge of the camp of the Lord, keepers of the entrance. And Benias, the son of Eliezer, was the chief officer over them in time past. And the Lord was with him. Now, there's a great thing that I always think about. The Lord was with him. Whenever you see somebody that the Lord was with, like Benias, you need to go make a study of their life and understand why the Lord was with them and understand what effect that had on the work of their hands. Zacharias, make a little note in your Bible. Study all those the Lord was with. Zechariah, the son of Meshelamiah, was gatekeeper in the entrance of the tent of the meeting. All these who were chosen as gatekeepers at the threshold were 212. They were enrolled by genealogies in their villages. David and Samuel the seer established them in their office of trust. Now that's interesting. Established them in their office of trust. So they and their sons were in charge of the gates of the house of the Lord, that is the house of the tent, as guards, the gatekeepers on the four sides, east, west, north, and south, and their kinsmen who were in their villages were obligated to come in every seven days in turn to be with these. For the four chief gatekeepers who were Levites were entrusted to be over the chambers and the treasures of the house of God. And they lodged around the house of God, for on them lay the duty of watching, and they had charge of opening it every morning. Some of them were in charge of the utensils of service, for they, were brought, they, for they were required to count them when they were brought in and taken out. Now, did you hear that? They were required to count them when they were brought in and taken out. So in the house of God, there is accountability. Now, let me just stop there for a minute because, you know, people get upset with us sometimes and they say, you know, why, why, is, why do we have to keep records of that? Because there has to be accountability. Assets, when they are checked out, at COP, they need they are signed out with a head of uh, approval of a department head, security guard receives it, and they are required to be brought back. Every person who is entrusted with assets has to require an asset management form, and people say, oh, you know, we should, should trust everybody. Well, they were required to count them when they were brought in and when they were taken out. Hmm. Uh, when I was a mechanic, working my way through high school and college, working in, in gas stations as a mechanic in the evenings. It always amazed me how tools would disappear. I mean, one day when I came in, there were tools, or the next day when I came in, the same tool is now gone. And, you know, I looked at the owner of the gas station. I said, I don't get it. I mean, I need a tool. It's 10 o'clock at night. There's no place open to buy the tool, and the tool's gone. And he said, you know, people just take things. Now, brothers and sisters, 
you just got to understand, if people think they can get away with taking things, they take things even from the house of God. Ah. See, Brother John explained it to me this way one time. He said, people will steal from church because they think it really doesn't belong to anybody. <laughs> people would steal from the temple because they didn't think it belonged to anybody. These men were required to count when they, came, when they were brought in and they were taken out. We must be accountable for the assets of God's house. Others of them were appointed over the furniture and over all the holy utensils, also over the fine flour. Now notice, every asset in the temple had people in charge of it. And over the furniture and over the holy utensils, over also the fine flour, the wine, the oil, the incense, and the spices. Others of the sons of the priests prepared in mixing the spices. And Methathiah, one of the Levites, the firstborn of Shulam the Korite, was entrusted in making the flat cakes. Also, some of their kinsmen of the Kothites had charge of the showbread to prepare it every Sabbath. Now, these the singers of the heads of the father's house of the Levites were in the chambers of the temple, free from other service. Now, the singers, they didn't have to be accountable for the assets. They didn't have to help prepare the food and things. Uh, because they were on duty day and night. <laughs> now, singers were not freed up from other responsibility because uh, they were singers, but because they worked 24-hour shift. Ah, okay. Think of that. 24-hour shift. Singers were on duty 24 hours a day in the house of God. These were the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites, according to their generations and leaders. These lived in Jerusalem. Verse 35. In Gibeon lived the father of Gibeon, Jael. And the name of his wife was Maacha, and, and his firstborn son, Abdam. Then Zer, Kish, Baal, Ner, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth. And Mikloth was the father of Shemian. And these also lived opposite their kinsmen in Jerusalem. And with their kinsmen, near fathered Kish. Kish fathered Saul, and Saul fathered Jonathan, Malkishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. And the son of Jonathan was Merabaal, and Merabaal fathered Micah. And the sons of Micah were Pithon, Merech, Talriah, and Ahaz. And Ahaz fathered Jara. And Jara fathered Alameth, Asmaveth, and Zimri. And Zimri fathered Moza, and Moza fathered Benia, and Raphiah was his son. Elisha his son, Azil his son, and Azil had six sons, and these are their names. Ezrakam, Bokiru, Ishmael, Sariah, Obadiah, and Hanan. These were the sons of Azil. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Machishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer could not, for he greatly feared. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died. Thus Saul died, he and his three sons, and all his house died together. 
And when all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that the army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. Verse 8, the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his sons fallen at Mount Gilboa. And they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. Now, let me just park there for a minute. One of the things you have to understand is that demons are not omniscient. They have to hear the news. So just like the people needed to carry hear the news, their demon idols needed to hear the news. Sometimes people get this idea that demons know everything and that the demons are all... No, 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 no. Demons are very limited creatures, all right? They're, they're just they're fallen angels. There are limitations on their capabilities, just like there are on angels. Now, only God has unlimited abilities, all right? Now, you just need to get a hold of this and recognize demons are not all that. They had to hear the news. And they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. What kind of a temple has people's heads cut off displayed in it? One of the things you're going to have to learn about demon temples, they like death. And when all Jabesh Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and took away the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons and brought them to Jabesh. And they buried his bones under the oak at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Now, they went to Bethshan, the city that we go to on our way up to Jerusalem from Galilee. That's one of our last stops. They went to Bethshan, the greatest city in that whole Decapolis area, okay? Their bodies were mounted on the wall. These men came and took the bodies down. Verse 13, so Saul died for breach of faith. Now, again, consequences for your decisions. See, people always want to blame God for things, but... You know, many of the promises of God have conditions on them, and when you breach faith, there are consequences. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord, and he consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. There are consequences for actions. Now, I'm going to stop there today. But parents, I want you to understand one of the greatest things you can ever do for your children. Of course, the greatest is love them and point them to Jesus. But one of the things is what I call tough love. Parents, you have to teach your children consequences. We had to do that with Shasha also. I mean, you know, if kids... If kids face no consequences, if, if they can sin, if they can make wrong decisions and face no consequences, I'm sorry, one day life is going to give them some horrible consequences because they don't ever think there's accountability for their actions. Saul faced consequences. The people of Israel face consequences. When your children disobey, when your children do things that are wrong, it's not going to kill them to face some consequences. Sometimes we spank them. Sometimes we take their cell phone away. Different consequences at different stages of their lives. But as they learn consequences, they learn, you know what? There's a price to pay for things. And if you're going to make that decision, 
there are consequences. It is amazing how understanding consequences keeps people doing right. Oh, no, Pastor Summerall, that's, that's bondage. No, that's life. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.